how many of you are into cars? And, and, and I know I got to clarify that a little bit because Teo, Teo, he, he's into cars. And he has been ever since before he could walk. He, he loves to, to take cars and, and turn them upside down and play with the wheels. Spin the wheels. He was here last week, and he has it back there. He has this bag of monster trucks and cars, and last week there was a tail back there. He was rolling them back and forth and doing things. He always has loved doing that. He'll take his monster truck, and he'll roll them, and he'll spin them in the air and watch them do flips and stuff. He's into cars. He's into cars so much, I got one here. This is one of Tao's cars. It is a die-cast metal car. I mean, it's nice. The doors work. The trunk works and stuff like that. This is Tao's car. He is so much into them. Look at this. The wheels are gone. He has taken the wheels off. He is so fascinated with them. The wheels are at the house. We have them. They will no longer fit on here because they've come off. But he's into cars. He's into monster trucks. He could tell you. <laughs> he's going to want to know where the wheels are. I know it. Now, I also know that when I was younger, cars were simpler. And I would do a lot of the work on my own vehicles. You know, I'd change the brakes and work on the engine and stuff like that. So I know a little bit about cars. Nowadays, with all the electronics and all the computers and everything, nah, I'm not touching them. We just send them to our mechanic. Mechanic takes care of them. But I have a question for you. You have the hood on your car up, and you're looking there at the engine compartment. For those of you who know, can you tell whether that car is in neutral or whether it's in drive, just by looking at it. Now, some of you may not have any clue. I know, you've got the engine on. You know, the, the, the fan belt is running, it's whirring, and it's making noise. The, the pistons are pissing. That means they're firing, they're going back and forth, and, the, and stuff like that. The alternator is alternating, which means it's creating a current for other things to go. It, it's just humming. You know, the, you can hear the, the uh, radio, the, you, the brake lights will come on, the wipers will go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. All of that, can you tell, you pop the hood, can you tell just by looking there at the engine in the engine compartment, can you tell whether the car is in park you know, or neutral or drive just by looking at it? Think you can? How do you do it? That, that's it. You cannot tell just by looking there at the engine. Unless, of course, as Jason has already said, unless you're standing in front of it and you have somebody there and they put the car into drive and they give it just a little bit of gas, all of a sudden the car is going to come forward and run you over. Other than that, you will not know. The truth is, to be able to tell whether it's in drive or not, you have to be able to be underneath where the transmission is and you can tell whether it's been shifted or not. But looking at the engine compartment, you cannot tell. Today... We're going to begin a series. It's called Shift. And I want us, the message today is to shift out of neutral. Our scripture is found in Ezekiel chapter 37. We'll be there in just a little bit. Because what I want us to do is to take this idea of whether a, a vehicle is in neutral or in drive and somehow try to apply it to the church. Churches, yeah, yeah. Churches, you know, they're, they're starting back up. The season's over. We're getting things going again. The calendar is beginning to fill up and things are taking place. Classes are meeting. There's sounds, there's lights, there's activity all over the place. But are we going anywhere? Is there forward motion or is there just movement? Are we in drive or are we just kind of sitting in neutral? What about in our personal lives? 
We're busy people. I understand we're very busy people. And we're constantly in motion. But the question still comes back, is there forward motion or is there just movement? Maybe you're like one of those NASCAR drivers and, and you're going 200 miles an hour round and round and round and round and round. And at the end of the day, you really haven't gotten anywhere. You've just completed a bunch of laps. So over the next several weeks here, we're going to talk about some of the shifts that we need to make, both in our personal lives and in the life of the church, in order to be the people that God wants us to be. We're going to be, talk about shifting our attitude, shifting our actions. We're going to ask the question, is there anything about our priorities that we may need to shift today? Today, I want to specifically talk about the church, about how before we can shift into any gear, we somehow have to shift out of neutral. And that brings us to our passage this morning. It is found in the book of Ezekiel, and I believe that we can find a lot of stuff in common with Ezekiel, the prophet, find some common ground with him. Ezekiel's entire ministry happened during the time where, where Judah is in exile. His very first vision comes in year five of what is going to be a 70-year period in which the life of the people had been turned upside down. The temple, it has been destroyed. Their children are, are getting absorbed. They're getting assimilated into another culture. Even Ezekiel, he finds himself trying to figure out where God fits, where God is in all of this. What is life going to look like on the other side of quarantine? Or a church split? Or maybe the LGBTQ? Oh, wait. What is life going to look like on the other side of exile? So in Ezekiel 37, which is probably the most well-known passage in that entire book, God gives this vision. He gives a vision to Ezekiel. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read through it. Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 10. And as I start reading, I'm sure you will all, most of you will be familiar with it. The hand of the Lord was on me. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many of bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. 
they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Thank you. you may be seated and may the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Now, unlike some of the other visions that we get in, in the, some of the prophetic books, God actually gives us a little bit of an answer key for this particular one. Because in verse 11, the Lord tells Ezekiel, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. In other words, they were stuck in neutral. Not only was there no forward motion, there was no motion at all. They've been like that for a very long time. Because if you notice, it says that the bones, they were dry. And God asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? And I believe there are four parts to the answer, and we're going to look at those today. Can these bones live? They must have the breath of God. In verse 8, it says, I looked, and tendon and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, and there was no breath in them. So God, he, he gives Ezekiel some instructions and the bones, they begin to come together. Verses 7 and 8 gives us a very graphic detail of it. It says a rattling sound. There was this rattling sound. And just imagine you're there, and all of a sudden there is this rattling sound that's taking place. And kind of freaky, if you ask me. Marshall, are you all right? Lisa, can you let him use your phone for a moment, please? It's right here. Or no, it's sitting right over here underneath the tripod. Lisa will help you out over there, Marshall. Okay, thank you. You all right? She'll meet you right there. She'll go around the other side. Thank you. You're welcome, Marshall. That's what I've been talking about. Not necessarily Marshall. You're okay, Marshall. Lisa will meet you right over there. That's just Satan trying to disrupt what's going on. Here we go. You're okay. Go ahead and use the phone. You're all right, Marshall. We'll get to this moment. Let's pray. Father, I just lift up Marshall to you. And, and, and whatever it is that, that is troubling him, whatever it is that's taking place, would you calm his heart, calm his spirit? This phone call that he needs to make, would, would you allow it just to, to bring him some peace? Father, would you help to bring us back to your word, back to this place? <sighs> breathe. Father, breathe. Into us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And so Ezekiel has this vision, and all of a sudden, these bones, the, the bones, they start rattling and stuff like that. And believe me, if you were there and the bones start, these bones start rattling and moving around, it's kind of freaky, almost more like a horror movie type thing that's taking place. And all of a sudden, verses 7 and 8, they say, the bones, they come together, bone comes to bone. Tendons begin to grow on them. Skin covered them. But are they alive? The answer is no, they are not. Because it says, but there was no breath in them. And I wonder how many churches that might describe. You see, from all outward appearance, it may look like the church is alive. See, there's activities, there's events, there's things going on. The doors are open. They're having worship services. You know, there, there's gas in the bus and the vehicles, they're going places, they're going around. 
But here's what we learn from Ezekiel's vision. Appearance doesn't equal life. We see this in Jesus' criticism of the church in Sardis. Those of you in Revelation on Thursday night, the church in Sardis, he says to them, you have a reputation of being alive, yet you are dead. Appearance does not equal life. Activity doesn't equal life. A full chapter of activities, all kinds of things going on. It doesn't mean that the church is actually alive. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus has some truly terrifying teachings that he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Third, only God's spirit can bring life. If you notice in there, there there's the word breath in, in, in the scripture. And if you underline that or remember, kind of hang on to that word breath. I was hoping Joel would be here. Pastor Frank, help me on this if he can. Because I've, I've, I've looked it up and I've been doing research. And, and, and you can go on the internet and you can tell it to, to give you the pronunciation of words. And the word is R-U-A-C-H. Roch. Which sounds like you're trying to clear your throat. But roch is, is the breath of God. Thank you, Glenna. You must be hanging around with Joel a lot. Yeah. The, the rock, the, that's what they're talking about. The breath of God is the rock of God. It's used in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit of God, which is the rock of God, was hovering over the surface of the water. It also says God breathed, that would be rock, God breathed into Adam, and Adam became a living being. We get a double dose of it in Job chapter 33, because it says the Spirit... The rauch of God has made me. And the breath, the rauch of the Almighty gives me life. You see, without the Spirit of God, and in New Testament and on, we say the Holy Spirit, without, but without the Spirit of God inhabiting what we do, we're stuck in neutral. No matter how busy we become, no matter how much we, we, we seem to be moving around, we won't be alive as a church unless God's Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit, inhabits us and leads us and guides us. And so how do we know whether or not we are inhabited by God's Spirit? Let me ask you this question. Is there anything that we are attempting to do that apart from the Holy Spirit leading, guiding us without the Holy Spirit we would fall flat on our faces. If we aren't depending on the Holy Spirit, if we simply just stop praying and, and we just do everything that we can do in our own strength and in our own might, how long before anyone could even tell the difference if the Spirit is leading us or not? See, in order to get out of neutral, we have to have the breath of God in everything that we do. Can these bones live? It depends on the pleasure of God. When God asked the prophet, can these bones live? Ezekiel, he gives a very humble answer. He says, sovereign Lord, you alone know. 
What does that word sovereign mean? Well, if you go to the root of sovereign, you get the word reign. And it means, it talks about uh, something to do with God's authority, the authority that he has to rule and to reign and to make decisions in his kingdom. So everything and anything that happens within the kingdom of God happens because God either wills it to happen or he allows or permits it to happen. And those two things are completely separate. They could be an entire message on their own. Things that God wills to happen and things that he allows or permits to happen. There is nothing in all of the universe that is out from under God's sovereign rule. Abraham Kuyper, who is a Dutch theologian, he put it this way. There is not a square inch in the whole dominion of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. So can these bones come back to life? Lord, you alone know. Can a church recover from a pandemic when it shut the doors for three months and attendance is hard to get back up? Can a church recover when, when there has been a church split? Can a church recover through all of this LGBTQA++++, all this other stuff, all these things that come against the church? Can a church survive? If the sovereign Lord wills it, the answer is yes. And if he doesn't, the answer is no. There are churches that did not and churches that will not survive the pandemic. And I realize it's three or four years behind us, but there are still some churches that are struggling. Brian Kinneman, who is the president of the Barna Group, he told a Christian Post in an interview, he said, one in five churches will permanently close because of coronavirus. That's 20% of all churches that were open back then would close. Another study says that almost half of churches in America, 47%, could not cover three months of expenses if tithes and offerings dried up. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Before we get all gloom and doom about this, I want to reassure you about some of the promises that God has made about the church. This is the church with, with the capital C, that big letter C, the overall church, the church that has existed continually since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when Jesus told his disciples, wait here until the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power. The church that has existed since the day of Pentecost, the church that will exist until the day that Jesus Christ returns, that church. Here are some of the promises. Colossians 1 says that she is the body of Christ. Colossians 1, the other one was Colossians 1.18 she is the body of Christ. In Colossians 1.27, the church is the hope of the world. It is God's plan A for making the glorious riches of the kingdom known to the Gentiles. She is the household of God, according to 1 Timothy. And so, yes, there are some churches that will close and I believe that every single one of the seven churches that are mentioned 
in Revelation. They've all closed. There are other churches around and stuff like that. Churches closed and churches open. There are more churches opening right now than are closing. But 3,000 churches a year close their doors. But the church, the church will endure until Christ comes to get her. The church will endure until Christ comes to receive his bride. We know this from God's word. And if the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church, then neither is a coronavirus or a church split or this whole LGBTQA++ whatever it is. And so while God never promises that any individual church that it will endure, and I know in the business meeting we had, I talked a little bit about this dying to restart. And some of you may have taken that as, as being this negative thing. And it's just an option, just some of the stuff we're looking at. I believe this. I believe that God is blessing Richmond Church, Richmond Community Church. And I believe that he will continue to bless our congregation as long as we continue to be faithful to him and to seek his spirit and the guiding of his spirit. Amen. And you see, that brings us to the third point. Can these bones live? It begins with the word of God. In verse 4, then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. There's really no other way to put it, but without the word of God, that would be your Bible, okay? Without your Bible. We really don't have a whole lot that we can talk about. I mean, we can be a social club and just talk about all kinds of things. But Jesus Christ, God, the Holy Spirit, they have to be at the beginning, in the middle, and the end of everything we're talking about. Remembering God's word, and, and, and it is, it's the beginning, the middle, and the end. There's an acronym in your handouts, if those of you have them. There, there's an S, a C, an A, and an N. We're going to go through those real briefly. The very first one, God's word is sufficient. It means that it contains everything that we need to know on how to live a life that pleases God. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So if the scriptures are thoroughly sufficient to equip us, then there's nothing else we need. The second one is C is clear. God's word is clear. Now, theologians, you're going to love this. Theologians have a term for it. It's called the perspicuity of Scripture. I had trouble even saying it. I had to, could get it pronounced, pronounced every day in here. Perspicuity, perspicuity. I can barely say it. How many of you even know what that means? Well, all it simply means is God's word is clear. And it's kind of humorous or ironic when you think about it. Why take something that's so easy to understand and make it so complicated? God's word is clear. God's word has been revealed to common people, ordinary people, all, every one of us. If you want to know God's word, you just get in and read it, and the spirit will come, seek the good spirit, and he will guide you, and you'll be able to understand it. Now, I get there are probably verses, portions of scripture we may never understand on this side of heaven. Those of you going through Revelation, yeah, Revelation, you get into it, and, and there's the dragon and the pregnant woman and all this other stuff, and some of uh, Daniel's visions and some of the, the prophetic things, we may never completely understand them. But I guarantee there are a lot of people who are going to sit down and go over and over and over and try to come up with some way to, to make sense. Other than that, most all of Scripture, we can understand simple people, 
ordinary people. Third, God's word is authoritative. That means that it is the final word in all matters of faith and practice. You cannot add to it. You cannot take away from it. It stands alone. It is the final authority, the Bible. Keep the Bible with you. Read through the Bible. Know what the Bible says. If I'm saying things up here, check it against the Bible. If it doesn't make sense, come and talk, and let's see if we can figure it out. Maybe I'm off a little bit. Maybe we just haven't looked at it that way before. And finally, fourth, God's word is necessary. This simply means that the knowledge of God and his will, it is necessary for us. It is necessary for salvation cannot be known apart from God's word. Now granted, you can know all about God. You can just look around you. And Teo and I, we had this conversation last night. And I think we had it a little bit this morning. Because we are on planet Earth. Okay, not a great revelation unless you're a three-year-old. Okay, we are on planet Earth. God created planet Earth. God created everything that we look at, everything that we see. So if you want to know about God, you just look around you, and you can see how creative he is. You can see how much of a sense of humor he has with a a platypus and and some of these other animals. You can know about God. But do you know God? See, you can only know God through Scripture. And that is because it is in Scripture where we learn about Jesus Christ. Scam. Sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary. Fourth, can these bones live? It will for the purpose of God. In verse 10 it says, So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And I love the word that he used here and how he's describing it. When the valley of bones, when they finally rattle and they finally stand up on their feet, how did Ezekiel describe them? He didn't say that they stood up their feet and they were a large group. He didn't say that they came to life and they were a prominent social organization. He didn't say they came to life and stood and at their feet. They were good, upstanding people who made a positive contribution to the community. What he said was that they were dead, they were dry, they were lifeless bones. They came together and they stood on their feet and they were a vast army. An army. An army has a purpose greater than itself. It has a mission. An army has a focus outside of itself. It doesn't exist simply to exist inside these walls. See, the individual soldier or army, airman or marine or sailor doesn't act just to benefit themselves. And so I, I have to be honest with you. I'm breaking off. I'll be back, Tim. Um, while we were sharing all the prayer requests, you may have noticed I was a little bit busy over here kind of laying halfway on my side trying to get things going. So I didn't hear 100% of all of the requests. I will read them. I know Pastor Frank types in there. So Diana, you're at work and this guy goes on. That is your mission field. Stay in your mission field. Mitch, I know, I know, I remember you, you were talking a little bit about knowing that the Spirit telling you you need to speak to this guy and you didn't really speak to this guy. That is your mission field. Stay in your mission field and keep at it. Don't, if, if you fail one time, don't give up. That's what Satan wants you to do. He wants to say, oh, I messed it up. I'm never going to do it again. 
Keep pressing forward. You mess up one time, kick it behind you, leave it back there, move forward. An army has a focus outside of itself. It's beyond these walls for all of us. And an army, we have a commander, one commander who is above ourselves, and our commander is Jesus Christ. Amen. Keep pressing forward. Can these bones live? Can, can we, as a church, make a difference, go beyond these walls? God is still blessing us. God is still using us. He can still move. We just have to rely on the Spirit. And as the Spirit leads us, step out in faith as rough as it may seem. Wherever the Spirit leads us, let's go.